0: Following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Oh, good morning. By this uh, room feeling pretty full this morning compared to the last few weeks. So, welcome everyone. We're back in the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to look at uh, two concurrent events uh, in verses 53 to 72. And that's page 851 in the Pew Bibles. Now, last week, um, Jesus and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And after Jesus prayed there, and submitted to the Father's will, Judas, the betrayer, brought an armed crowd to arrest Jesus. And our old pal Peter, in his foolish zeal, pulled out his sword and struck the servant of the high priest named Malchus and cut off his ear, which Jesus promptly healed. That's a funny story, uh, Peter and the ear. Probably not one that he want to. You see in Mark's gospel. Remember this is. Most likely Peter telling Mark. And Mark is writing down the story. Peter left the part out that that was him. With the sword and the ear. He doesn't name himself. But the other gospel writers. Uh, did. So sorry Pete. You're out of luck. Hmm. Anyway. And after this, uh, the disciples have now scattered, uh, and Jesus has been taken alone to the high priest for trial. Only two of the disciples dared to follow the crowd to see what was happening, and our friend Peter was one of them, as we'll see in our text. And another, an unnamed disciple, uh, recorded in John's Gospel, Some people think most likely it was John because he had a way of writing about himself and not including his name. But there are other people that think that this disciple was Mark. Hopefully he's dressed by this time because the last time we saw him, he was running around naked. Either way, it doesn't truly matter. In Mark's record of these events, he skips over the first examination of Jesus by Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. Uh, The high priest was Joseph Caiaphas. He goes straight to Jesus before the whole council of the Sanhedrin in his account. So in our text, the trial of Jesus before Caiaphas and Peter's denial of Jesus are happening at the same time in the same place. Uh, Or close, very close by. Peter and Jesus are both questions. But their responses could not be more different. So let's look at that text and we'll pray. Mark 14, 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance. Right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And a high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father, this is certainly a powerful and important event in the life and ministry of Jesus. And also in the life and ministry of Peter. I pray, Father, as we examine these texts this morning, that your spirit would speak. That you would instruct us on how to be like Jesus, our example, and to avoid the mistakes of Peter. We entrust this time to you, Lord. We long to hear your voice. We love and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look first at uh, Jesus questioning. A Jesus trial here was a farce. It's absolute nonsense. What was happening here is a violation of Roman law. It's a violation of the Jewish law. It's a violation of the Old Testament law. Everything wrong with what was happening. The time of day, this took place. Who was involved? All of that is all contrary to the law. And the language suggests that the Sanhedrin, this council of elders and scribes and chief priests—they're looking to pay witnesses to testify against Jesus, right? We'll give you ten bucks if you come up and say something bad about him. But they couldn't get two people to say the same thing. Now, Old Testament requires two people's testimony to to uh, prove someone guilty. Two people, and they couldn't get it. That's what. Uh, The Torah required in Deuteronomy. They couldn't find two guys that could say the same thing. Now, I don't know how they were doing that to call person one in at a time. It doesn't seem like it would be that orderly. But if one guy says, I saw him say this, and someone else could just say, I saw him say the same thing that that guy said, but that's not how it worked out. They just couldn't get two people to agree. Verse 57 says, Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, this their testimony did not agree. But does this sound familiar? Did Jesus ever say that? Close. Close. Very close. This is, this is very, very close. Jesus said something similar to this three years before this day. Long time ago. He did say in John chapter 2 verse 19, He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now is He talking about the temple in Jerusalem? No, He was not. See, context is very important. He wasn't talking about destroying the temple we know he was talking about his own body but this accusation this close but not quite accusation did kind of stick not that it was correct but this is what got out because when jesus was on the cross people used this against him saying you said you destroy the temple and rebuild it come down from the cross we'll see that in chapter 15 of Mark. So this one. Was close enough for them. So after hearing all these false witnesses. Caiaphas himself called on Jesus to be a witness. Against himself. In verse 60. And a high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus. Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. That's important because that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53, 7 said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Here we see prophecy fulfilled. And Jesus would do the same before Pilate. Again, giving no answer to the accusations. But he does speak here. Now in Mark, he doesn't use the same words as the other gospel writers. When Caiaphas says, I adjure you by God, are you the Christ? Now that's important wording because... um, That is, uh, according to the Old Testament, would require Jesus to speak or he would be in violation of the law. Now, we know Jesus did not violate the law and that's why he spoke. Otherwise, I don't think he would have. Just speculation there. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? I adjure you, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? They would, they are being respectful, say The blessed instead of saying God. But that's who they meant. Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his testimony. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him. As deserving death. And some began to spit on him. And cover his face. And to strike him. Saying to him prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Now I think it's interesting. That the high priest tore his garments. He tore his robe. This is the high priest. This is not just some guy. This is not just. Pastor Caiaphas. This is the high priest. He is appointed according to. To the uh, to the Torah, right? This is a um, a national role. He is president of Israel because they couldn't have a king right then. And he tore his robes. He is in robes. Uh, look, the Bible doesn't say a great deal about how a uh, pastor should dress, but it has a lot to say about how the high priest should dress, and what he was wearing was prescribed by the Bible. Um, And he tore his robe. This is not without significance. This is an echo of 1 Samuel 15, verses 24 through 28, when God rejected Saul as king of Israel. I'm sure that popped right into your mind when you heard that. It sure did for me. Oh, yes. This took a little work. But let me read 1 Samuel here. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. I think this is a parallel. That the kingdom of Israel was being torn from the high priest, just as it was torn from Saul. And it was given to a neighbor, Saul's neighbor, who we know to be David, King David. And now the kingdom is being torn from the high priest and given to a neighbor who just so happens to be a son of David. I think that's significant. I don't think that's a stretch to compare these two things. Tearing the priesthood from Caiaphas. And giving it to the son of David. Jesus Messiah. So while all this high drama is happening. While Jesus is being questioned by the high priest. Up in the palace. uh, Peter is being questioned down below in the courtyard. By the servants. This is a, a. a strange parallel to me. Look at verse 66. And as Peter was below in a courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. So think about this parallel. Jesus was being questioned in the palace. By those on one end of the spectrum of power in Israel. And he's to give a good answer. When he says I am. Are you the son of the blessed? I am. Now. Here we have on the other side of the spectrum. We have. Bold and brash, they might deserve you, desert you, but I won't desert you, ear-chopping Peter, right? Being questioned by a servant girl out in the courtyard, out by the campfire. When Jesus was asked by the high priest, are you the Christ? Jesus said, I am. Knowing it would cost him his life to respond. And was And when Peter was asked by a servant's girl, aren't you with him, with Jesus, the Nazarene? Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a pretty literal translation. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, can we just stop for a minute and examine just how lame that answer is? This is These are some of the lamest words ever spoken. First of all, think about the context here. This isn't just I happen to be walking down the street in Jerusalem one day and a servant girl asked me if I knew Jesus. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not what's going on here. You're in the courtyard of the palace of the high priest, special place. And when are you there? You're there in the middle of the night. Not just I happened by this afternoon and saw someone stand out front. This is the middle of the night and you've got a Galilean sitting with the soldiers and the guards out by the fire while the trial of the century is going on, right? And you're questioned by a big scary dude with a sharp stick? No. Peter is being questioned by a slave girl. It says servant girl because our translators are very polite. But the word is slave. This is the bottom rung of society. Not just a slave, but first century, right? First century, not 21st century. Slave girl. You don't get any lower on the rung, on the ladder than this. And Peter says, I don't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. What did Peter have to say to this slave girl? Nothing. He didn't owe her a response. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to deny the Lord. He's not in fear of death. This a slave girl. He didn't have to say anything. Instead, sitting in a courtyard, trial of the century going on upstairs, and you pretend you don't know what's going on. In truth, he didn't have to be there. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crowed, right? Smart person says, well, let me just go where there aren't people and I don't have to worry about that, right? That's the benefit of perspective that we have, uh, certainly not where Peter's mind was at. So after being intimidated by this scary slave girl by the campfire, he goes out to the gateway Where it's dark and nobody can see his face out of the light of the fire and is followed by the first crow of the rooster. Now, this not very long after Jesus said before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Right. Again, we have the benefit of perspective. We're not so emotionally wrapped up in what's going on at this moment. But a rooster crows, "Hello," right? It didn't get Peter's attention at all. It didn't, it doesn't record any reaction from Peter to the rooster crowing. We always catch God's subtle hints. I can't believe Peter didn't pick up on this one, right? We're so good at that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, verse sixty-nine. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Mm. Now, I used to read this and think, Peter just like goes on a foul mouth rant, right? Just starts using foul language and swearing at everybody. But that's that's not the kind of cursing and swearing Peter is uh, doing. He's basically saying, may God strike me if I'm lying. I swear on oath I don't know this man. I don't know Jesus. This is what he's doing. Uh, maybe when you say, "I swear I don't know what you're talking about today," it's just wasted words. Empty words means nothing. Not so much here. You remember this is in the same book where people telling Job, "Curse God and die, because that's what will happen if you curse God, He will kill you. This is what Peter does, right? May God strike me if I'm lying. Was he lying? Yes. Did God strike him? No. I swear on oath, I don't know the man. Was he tell the truth? No. Did God strike him? No. What he did do was poke a rooster and a rooster crowed a second time. Jesus was inside being questioned by the powerful, the top of the ladder. And Peter is outside getting questioned by the nobodies. Jesus was giving the good confession while Peter was outside denying the Lord. Jesus was wrongly accused of blasphemy But Peter was actually guilty of it by denying the Lord. Well, good thing only Peter has ever done that. John Calvin called Peter's fall a bright mirror into our own weaknesses. While not being supported by the hand of God, the mighty Peter blew over in a gentle breeze. And I want you to hear me right now. The very same will happen to us if we walk in a way contrary to the word of God. We too will blow over in a gentle breeze. Jesus in the garden from this same chapter, proved that the only strength is in submission to God's will, to God's word. And Peter, in the courtyard, showed that we have power over nothing if we deny Christ in our words and in our actions. Maybe you think, well, I've never done that. I've never nobody's ever asked me, do you know, Jesus? And I said, no. Careful. Because we deny the Lord with our actions when we disobey his word, when we find ourselves in sin. It's exactly what we're doing. In our weakness, not supported by the hand of God, we blow over in a gentle breeze. I don't know what that is for you, what that looks like for you. I do know what it looks like for me, and I don't like it. But every time we sin, we're guilty of the same sin as Peter. There is one last comparison to be made here, but not between Peter and Jesus, where Jesus got it right and Peter got it wrong. The comparison is to be made between Peter and Judas. Matthew 27 records how Judas, after betraying the Lord, selling him out for 30 pieces of silver, felt remorse at betraying Jesus. He tried to give the money back, and the priest said, take care of it yourself. We don't want anything to do with it. It's too late. And Judas went out and hung himself. Peter, after denying the Lord, remembered the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter do? Did he feel remorse? Yes. He broke down and wept. The difference is, his remorse led him to repentance and Judas to despair. Peter broke down and wept. It literally says in the Greek, when he thought about it, he mourned and wailed, inferring his repentance. And we have further evidence that he learned his lesson later, uh, not in the Gospel of Mark, but the other Gospels uh, gives the account of Peter being restored. By Jesus, when, when Peter says, Peter, do you love me three times to match his three denials. But it didn't end there for Peter. The evidence that he learned his lesson, not just about faithfulness, but about the meaning of Christ's suffering. He wrote about it in his first letter. First Peter, chapter two. Verses 20 through 25. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. There is a gracious, it is a, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. but When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. When Jesus was on the cross, he bore Peter's denial. He bore that sin in his own body on a tree, just like he bore all of our sins. That we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. By his wounds. We have been healed. We were all straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd. And overseer of our souls. I think in our time. We have forgotten. The example of Jesus. Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, in 2021, somebody says something bad to you or says something bad about you is this what we do? Say, you know what? Say what you want. I entrust myself to him who judges justly. I'm not fight back. No. We ticky, 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 don't we? Get right back. I will show you and I will make you look so dumb. That's what we want. Isn't it? This is not the example set for for us by Jesus. He was reviled and did not revile in return. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is a continuation of his prayer in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. He knew that meant suffering. He knew that meant reviling. He, He knew it meant people were going to throw a bag over his head and punch him in the face and say, prophesy, who did that? A spit in his face. He knew. But he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Because we don't judge justly. People don't judge justly. God does. And we are his children by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your example, the example of Jesus of faithfulness in the face of trial and uh, false accusation and spitting and punching. We are thankful that you were willing to do what it took to bear our sins on your own body and to pay the penalty that we justly deserve for our sin. We thank you for restoring Peter, though he denied you. We are thankful that that gives us hope that we too will be restored that your grace is greater than all our sin. May this word take root in our hearts this morning and change our lives as a result to make us more like your Son, our great example, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. For it's in his name we ask it. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire, 03890.